No one said entrepreneurship was easy. But honestly, let's be real about it. Hi, my name is Varun Balsara. And I'm Luke Nellicliffe. And we are the hosts of the Human Entrepreneur Podcast. This is the podcast that unmasks the human behind the entrepreneurs. We uncover the skills they have learned. Lessons they wish they knew earlier. And stories that will motivate, inspire, and sometimes shock you. Entrepreneurship just got real. Welcome to our show. Hey, look, uh, it's been a whirlwind of a week and I might add a whirlwind of a month, as you know, you know, mental health hasn't been doing too well for me, lockdown and all of that, uh, especially with COVID and then to add on to that essay deadlines and submissions. Uh, but, you know, I think this 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 season has been one of my favorites. I think I, it holds a very special place in my heart because I think it, it's gotten me out of a slump in a way and just talking to these amazing people. I'm I'm very excited for the season. That's all I can say. I'm I'm genuinely buzzing. And yeah, man, I just wanted to check in with you and say, how are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it has been a bit of a whirlwind, like you say. Uh, spending extended periods of time with the family in lockdown, uh, with essays coming up and starting university term, one of like the final periods of university uh, for both of us. Going to be sad to leave university, but also uh, not so sad to leave all this dissertation work and other fun stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited to release this new season. I think the recordings we've done is awesome. And I'm really excited for you to listen to Ben West's podcast today. I think it's an absolutely awesome podcast. Lots of great insights and really shows the human side of entrepreneurs and people creating movements around the world. Absolutely. So without any further ado, on to the main show, the main podcast. I hope you amazing humans genuinely enjoy this. It holds a very special place in my heart, this conversation. Ben West is a great guy and I hope you get inspired by this story. On to the meat of the conversation. Hello everyone. Today, Luke and I are really, really excited to chat with Ben West. Ben is a mental health advocate, uh, most known for the project Walk to Talk and Save Our Students campaign. He is passionate about campaigning for mandatory training of teachers in mental health awareness, workplaces to realize the importance of mental health support, and high-level discussions in workplaces about enhancing employee well-being. He has had the chance to talk about his work on several platforms and has won several awards. He is also a LinkedIn change maker and has had the chance to interview with the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson and uh, present over 200,000 petition signatures and a letter saying out his demands for all teachers to undergo training in mental health awareness as part of their teacher training. I think having Ben West on the podcast, it really means a lot to me personally, because my mom's done a lot of fundraising for the Sam West Foundation, um, which is one of Ben West's organizations and had lots of friends also do the project Walk to Talk. So when Varun said we were getting Ben on the podcast, it honestly meant the world because I've seen the positive impact that he's had with his mental health campaigns and his projects um, in my family and uh, throughout my school and between my peers. So yeah, it really means a lot to have you on today, Ben. How are you doing? 
Oh, that means so much to hear. Thank you so much for that. What an intro. Wow. I was sitting there going, wow, I like this. <laughs> it, every time I hear that, it shocks me how everything's turned out because I think you might relate. You start with this idea, you're trying to do something and then the, the snowball effect just occurs and it just rolls and rolls. And now I'm sitting there listening to that being like, uh, how did this happen? <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, absolute honour to be on here. Thank you so much, Luke, for those kind words. I'm really, really glad you think that we've we've helped people that that are around you. I think yeah, yeah, definitely. When you hear people actually say that that they know that people have been touched by it, it really, really does mm. does mean a lot because you know you can look at the statistics, you can look at your reach online, you can look at all the the money or whatever, and it doesn't really have the human side of it so to hear it from you that's that's really lovely so thank you thank you so much for saying that you're welcome well thank you i think mental health and my family are something that was never really spoken about as a topic and we have definitely have challenges and i've personally had challenges myself and yeah we've all always had that attitude of just bottling it in but i think over the last couple years we've started to have conversations and it was stuff like that when my mum decided that she wanted to uh, raise money for the Soundwest Foundation after reading your story and what you were doing that it really was part of this journey of kickstarting these really important conversations and yeah talking of like how she was so inspired by your story do you want to just touch upon a bit about how you got to where you are today yeah of course if we go back a few years and imagine me as a 16 year old um, at school I had absolutely no idea what mental health was, right? That's not something that was on my radar at all. There was no education in, in mental health. You know, I usually say my um, my knowledge of mental health was very much that depression was for people that were sad, schizophrenia made you uh, a serial killer and all of these sort of connotations and misconceptions that come with mental health. That was my, the basis of my knowledge around it. And then in September 2017, my younger brother was diagnosed with depression, which swept straight over my head because I had absolutely no idea what that meant. In, in my mind, I was like, I'll just put on a happy, have some happy music and just jam out in your room and just get happy again, right? However, a few months later in, in January 2018, very, very suddenly uh, and to the shock of, of everyone involved, uh, you know, in our family and, and in his recovery, Sam took his own life. And... That really hit me in a, in a weird way. I, I realized how wrong I was in the presumptions that I had about what he was going through. And it hit me how serious that was. But also what was amazing about the, the weeks after that happened was the number of people that, that messaged me and spoke about their own struggles and spoke about how you know they'd lost family members or they'd struggled with with various mental health conditions and and a couple people that really stick in my mind that told me that they'd attempted suicide before and no one knows apart from me and them and i remember thinking i just remember sitting back and thinking how can we as a society allow something so serious like we're talking about life changing events how can we just let that be something that, that's not talked about and, and for someone to be ashamed and, and not want to tell even their friends, right? And I just thought, I've got a story. I've got a platform now. People are listening to me. I've got to do something. So I started Project Walk to Talk, like you said, um, which was there in school to try and get people to talk openly. So we made it 
as fun and happy as we could to try and get people on it because no one was going to come if it was <laughs> let's talk about mental health <laughs> um, so we got everyone to wear pink <laughs> and dress up and go for a walk and we got 450 people to turn up we walked all the way from our school to the house of parliament in 200 kilometers to the house of parliament and it was really successful we made loads of money woohoo which is great but also the response that we got from people that came on the walk was so incredible. I mean, people saying that they'd gone to see a counsellor for the first time, they'd spoken to their family for the first time about this. And I think that's where the real success was. And obviously the success of that led on to everything else that we've seen today. Awesome, Ben. And just let you know that I really appreciate the work you do. I got to know of you actually through another podcast that you recorded not too long ago, Mind Your Mind. Yeah, yeah. I, so uh, I, I think that's where I actually got to know you for the very first time. I just want to ask you, it's, it's just the personal curiosity of mine. I'm very fascinated with your story. And you know, you've said this, the beginning story so many times. Does it get any easier? Huh. That's an interesting question. The start of that, when, when the difficult part of that story is, it's almost exactly the same as every time I say yeah. it. Because yeah, exactly. it's scripted. That mm. is totally scripted. You know, my job, so this is mental health awareness advocate Ben. My job is is to talk about that all the time to people. And if I was pouring my heart out every time on a podcast and, and on TV and on radio, it would be exhausting. So I've got to the point where I can tell it without having to think about it differently. And, on, and in my head, every time I'm saying it, I'm like, oh no, it's exactly the same as before. <laughs> um, but it, it is sometimes quite difficult to regurgitate. So you've got to sort of I script it just so I don't have to bring it up every time. But how would you have done it differently if you didn't script it? Uh, I think sometimes there's, there's a time and place where you can really talk about it. I think there's a way that I can dislocate myself from the story. Mm. So I can tell it as a sort of, as I'm sort of just reading it off a page. Um, and, and just not feel emotionally attached to what I'm saying. And I, I mean, it's taken me two years to be able to say that on, on recordings. And I think without being able to sort of put myself in a position where I don't feel emotionally attached to what I'm saying, that's how yeah. I can say that and then mm. not be able, not be choking up on everything as we have a further yeah. conversation. Right. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still difficult to talk to. Obviously it is. Um, but you know, the stuff that we've done since and the stories that you hear from the work we've done, the positivity that we've created, that outweighs, far outweighs the, the negativity of that situation. And for me, that's how I look at it. You know, well, something awful's happened, but we've turned in something so incredible. People are now alive that wouldn't have been alive had we not done this. And, and for me, the pain that, that, went, that I went through, that has almost been made worthwhile by the fact that we've been able to to create so much change and so much positivity out of it. I, I appreciate that answer so much. Uh, so thank you, Ben. Uh, you know, I, I want to go back to what Luke initially spoke about, which was the whole idea of stigma and people bottling up these emotions. My origins are from India. I'm speaking to you from India. I kind of relate and resonate with that so much. I suffer from a lot of anxiety. I've been diagnosed with OCD you know, it's, it's been a struggle for me, not just in terms of just family, but just generally, you know, society is, there's a lot of stigma attached to mental health. It goes back to when my therapist, uh, you know, told me that, you know, we were having this conversation about medication and they said that if you break a bone in your leg, the first thing that you're going to do is visit a doctor. But 
if it's your mental health, the first thing you do is you try and shove it aside or you know, what is your experience with this whole stigma attached to mental health? Because recently in India, there's been this huge shift. There was, we, we lost a, a really good actor called Sushant Singh uh, from Bollywood and he took his own life. And suddenly there was this outcry uh, on social media about, yeah, mental health, mental health, mental health. And, and suddenly everybody started speaking about it. But it kind of annoys me that we lose so many students and kids in suicide every single day. And suddenly there's this one celebrity and now everybody's talking about it. And then suddenly it's going to you know, subside. Uh, what is your experience with it? Stigma is exactly why I am in the position I am, right? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be doing this if that didn't exist, because if it didn't exist, everyone would be, everyone would be able to talk about it. Uh, it's so difficult. So I think we've got to a point now where there is an awareness around mental health, right? Everyone knows what it is, whether they know the severity or not, it's a different question. So we've got the awareness. Okay. Everyone knows it's important to talk. Everyone knows there's a stigma, but we don't have the understanding. And I think that is where the stigma lies is the understanding. Um, and the, or the misunderstanding even. It's funny you bring up um, OCD because I think that's one of the most stigmatized, misunderstood mental health conditions there is. With, among, yeah. the, among the likes of schizophrenia, among the likes of bipolar, like people just use it as a, <laughs> as a verb, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. it's just not. That's really the challenge that we've got. And look, I don't blame people for using it in the playground as an insult. I don't blame people for not understanding. I blame the education system because we are not taught about it. You know, we're not taught about what mental health is. And look at me, 16 year old, I had no idea what it was. And I was plunged into this, into this situation where I had to, I felt like I had to teach people about it. And that's how dire the situation is when a 17 year old is trying to teach a school <laughs> what the boil this is about. It's, it's very, very difficult. It's very, very damaging. But you use the comparison between mental health and a broken leg. And although that's got similarities, if you look at the stigma attached to mental health and you look at the stigma attached to sexual health conditions and bowel conditions, right, they've got the same stigma, but people understand because they can see what's happening. So even though that, yeah, there's a stigma around bowel disease, people find it disgusting and all of this, right? But they can understand. So if someone takes a day off work because they've had an IBS has flared up, they might not feel comfortable saying that, but at least their colleague will go, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Because they can imagine, you know, what that might entail. Yeah. But with mental health, if someone came into work and said, I need to take a day off because of my anxiety or my depression, mm. how many people would not bat an eyelid as that person left, but also then sit in judgment for about five minutes going, I'm not having him on my team when I'm doing that project, right? How many people would, would think that, but wouldn't have thought the same for the person with IBS? And I think that's really where it lies. It's this behind the scenes stigma, which is a real problem and the misunderstanding um, that's created it. This misunderstanding is definitely something that you can see in, in so many levels. And I think I've personally misunderstood a lot of mental health conditions about like properly researching. Oh, yeah, um, yeah I misunderstood. I still don't know what most of them are. I like, I started talking to people about different ones and they got halfway through the conversation. I was like, um, what? That's just not why I imagined this was going to be at all. Um, OCD was one of them. I had no idea it was, it was as severe as it is. Uh, you know, there were so many times in my school where there were these, ah, oh, it was so annoying. And I was like, you have no idea what it, what it is. <laughs> yeah. Everybody thinks the compulsion yeah. part of it, but nobody knows what's happening in your head. It's... But it's not <laughs> even about being neat and tidy, right? It's, a, it's about overthinking situations and having anxiety attacks about situations that aren't 
going to happen and like it's just it was exactly. completely different yeah. to what I thought so I was like this is ridiculous yeah. because I'm meant mm. to know what I'm talking about and I was sitting there going mm. <laughs> am I am I a little bit underqualified to be doing this <laughs> it was a un- misunderstanding for a lot of them and what do you want to see Ben in terms of breaking all this misunderstanding if you were in um, power now what would you changes would you be bringing about yeah I mean so just after we finished the walk I started a petition, like you mentioned at the start, to make mental health first aid a compulsory part of teacher training. I genuinely believe that that's part of the solution. At the moment, the government is throwing a lot of money at the mental health support system, which it needs. It does need money, but we need to look at solutions. I I said yesterday, we can throw money at support, can have the best support system in the world. But if we have the best support system in the world, we'll only ever be able to control it. If we invest in preventative measures, if we invest in schools and education, we can not only control it, but we can beat it. So that's where the money needs to go. It needs to go into prevention. It needs to go into education. And so I think the petition is so important because teachers need to be aware. You spend most of your childhood at school. Some people see teachers more than their own parents. And yet teachers don't understand mental health at all. And they could be the difference between a child suffering for six months before making a suicide attempt and then getting put into CAMS and suffering for a few weeks before a teacher notices that they've got self-harm injuries and raises the alarm, puts them onto onto the necessary support. And I think that is so important to have an army of teachers that know what they're talking about, know what they're looking for, just to be able to not even have a conversation, just to be able to flag someone up and go, this person needs a little bit of help i've noticed this send on to the next person just as we do with physical first aid like everyone gets so so touchy when i mentioned mental health first aid like oh you can't expect us to become counselors and i'm like but i don't expect you to become paramedics when i teach you how to do cpr we're not about that it's about being able to deal with a crisis and pass on to the next person just like first aid is deal with the cut or the wound and then pass it on to 999 and that's their job now it's the same but we need that initial recognition and crisis intervention because the mental health support can be as good as it wants, but it will never be able to go out there and find the people that need the help. I love how you, you made that analogy of paramedics. And I think every school or kind of every school has this, you know, first aid training. How do you give CPR or something like that? Uh, but you're right. Uh, I don't think any school has a mental health first training course. And I think that's so important if I had that and, you know, teachers picked up on that, just in my journey of, you know, realizing that I had OCD, I wouldn't have suffered for it for so many years. I would have probably got help so much earlier and it wouldn't have been as bad as it is today. I understand the need for it, but for all the entrepreneurs out there listening to it today, what would you give as advice if they want to get into, you know, exactly what you're doing with training, with educating? What is the first step? What do you, what do you need to do? What does the world need today? And how are you going about achieving it? It's about educating yourself. It's about taking a long, hard look at, at what you do believe. And you know, I spoke about these backseat or behind the scenes, this behind the scenes stigma, right? What do you think OCD is? I, imagine how many people have watched this or listened to this and, and realized that OCD isn't being neat, right? Because I would have been one of them two weeks ago. And if you are one of those people that realize that you're wrong about something, educate yourself. There's so much stuff online where people talk to you about their own experience. And I think, once you can have a, a respect 
for the severity of a lot of these illnesses, it changes your mindset on mental health because it no longer becomes this wishy-washy subject that's got connotations of being weak and being feminine to talk about, right? We're not talking about our emotions. We're not talking about like coming home and crying because someone's upset you at work, right? We're, we're talking about real deeply damaging conditions. I mean, imagine waking up every day and having your brain tell you something that's totally wrong every single day and you have to live with that and you have to try and block that out. Right? That's, not, that's not like talking about our feelings. That's not talking about our emotions. That's not wishy-washy and that's not weak, right? So I think yeah. if people do want to learn more, if people do want to broaden their horizons on this stuff, it, it's research. What is schizophrenia? What is OCD? What is anorexia? What is depression? What is bipolar? And actually learn because there's so much misunderstanding out there. Um, but if you do want to take it further, and I think especially with entrepreneurs and people in business, getting some sort of mental health first aid training, it can be expensive. The course, I'm going to hold my hands up, it can be expensive. But the benefit of being able to have those conversations with your staff, how you can best support them at work, is absolutely invaluable. So getting some sort of training, getting some sort of education, I think is, is, is vital. I agree with that. There's a motivation to read up more when you're either going through something or you know somebody going through it. You know, and, and that's where that's where I wanna, you know, go back to what I spoke about when we lost uh, when we lost the actor to uh, to suicide, uh, is the fact that you know people started talking a lot more about mental health then than they did before. But not to negate the fact that there were so many students, so many kids that die every single day uh, because of suicide, uh, because they have extreme pressure on, you know, be it academics, family, whatever. And I guess it, it needs that life changing event to then start talking about something like that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. We see it every time there's some massive celebrity death, that, that issue becomes trending on Twitter. And for a few days, everyone's talking about it. Um, we saw it with Caroline Flack. We saw it with Kurt Cobain. We saw it with all these people that have taken their own life. And then suddenly people feel compelled to jump on the bandwagon. And in a way, that's, that's fantastic if it's getting people to talk. But that can't be sustained, right? The reason that people talk about yeah. mental health should not be because a celebrity has died. It should be because we're being educated in it. It should be because we're having those conversations, meaningful conversations at school. It should be because the government are creating awareness campaigns. The government and Public Health England are creating campaigns to get people talking. It should not be because someone's favourite TV mm -hmm. character has taken their own life. And I believe if it is, if yeah. that's the reason that people are opening up, yes, great, people are opening up, but that is a failing of the system I've had a lot of conversations with people recently where we're saying like, we really want to break the stigma around mental health and get more people talking. What advice would you give to people who want to become more of a change maker in the mental health scene and try and inspire more people to break the stigma, start talking and uh, develop their understanding? I've got two, two answers to this. One I think is really, really important is that you can't get other people to talk and be open if you just tell them to. If you want to start getting people to talk, if you want to start initiating some change and, and getting people that you know to open up about these problems, the only way you're going to start that is by opening up yourself, right? 
you have to lead by example. You can't just sit and sit on a camera and be like, it's important to talk about mental health and then just leave it. All right. Cause they're there just to be like, okay. <laughs> okay. Right. And I think actually opening up about your own stories, cause everyone has struggles, right? Opening up about how that affected you, you know, whether we're talking about starting something online, opening up about your own story and people, people see those stories and it inspires them to open up. It does. I see it every day people out there sharing their story and people just see that story they relate and they feel more comfortable to telling their own and and the second one the second way of helping is by listening i there's this real bugbear of mine where we're always telling people to talk about their feelings and talk about mental health and i think that's such an ignorant thing to say because it's people know that everyone knows that right but how can you talk it's 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 really good that everyone's being like, yeah, talk about your mental health, talk about your mental health, talk about your mental health. And then imagine you're just going away from that being like, okay, great. Um, who to? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the most important things we can do now is offer time to listen. That is so understated and that's not spoken about enough. It's so important that if you really want to help someone, just give them 10 minutes, 15 minutes of your time just to talk openly because so many people are desperate to talk that's the problem it's not the fact that people don't want to talk it's the fact that people do and they don't have the opportunity to so those are my two you know share your own story and try and inspire people to do the same and give time to listen because not enough time is given to these people that need to talk through this podcast you know i was a huge advocate for mental health and almost every conversation I had with the guests would kind of relate to mental health in some way. And I kind of felt like I was being a hypocrite because I was talking about it so much, but I never really got onto sharing my story about it. So I took to LinkedIn uh, a few weeks back and I shared it. I shared that I was anxious. I shared that it was a lonely journey. The response that I got was like no other. There were so many uh, messages. So many people commented on it. The engagement on that post was far greater than anything I posted on LinkedIn, which tells you something, right? People want to listen. People want to discuss. I guess it just needs, sometimes there needs to be that kind of nudge. Hopefully this podcast can serve as a nudge for several other people. And the second thing you spoke about was very significant, which was, you know, everybody wants to talk, but not many want to listen. How do you listen better, Ben? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a great question. You don't overthink it. It's one of the hardest things in the world to go and and notice that someone's struggling and actually offer your time to listen but don't say anything you don't have to say anything you know they don't want you to be like oh here's all the answers right <laughs> they don't they don't need that <laughs> if you want to help someone you want to listen just be quiet open your ears and actually meaningfully listen listen to every single word and don't have any distractions. And I think people overthink it so much. And I, I get that because it's a really hard thing to do, actually ask someone if they're okay and expect a response. Just listen. It's not that hard. Don't expect yourself to be able to give any answers. Literally, all you need to do is give them the time. You know, I, I, I catch myself very often uh, off late when someone's trying to tell me something, the immediate thing to do is, okay, I'm going to give you advice because I want to solve everything. Mm. Um, and it's probably... You don't have to do that. Sometimes it's just really cool to listen. And I I don't know if this is the right thing or the wrong thing to do, but I find myself now, uh, you know, instead of like, I'm I'm circumventing that trap by going ahead and saying, wait, do you want advice or do you just want to listen? Uh, Sometimes people take it as, you know, hey, that's a really nice thing to do and ask. Yeah, thank you. They'll acknowledge it. 
and other times it's like man you should know me by now you should you should you should be able to you should be able to understand what you you want to uh, you want me to just listen or get, give advice but i guess it's it's finding your own way in a way and we we spoken a lot about mental health um, and you know the the general discussion around mental health but i want to dive deep into your work and i know you've you've done a lot and do you just want to uh, tell our audience what you're doing currently and where that's headed yeah so uh, at the moment we've got two i've got two main avenues that i'm going down one is teacher training and we're training teachers in mental health first aid and basically holding the government to their promises because last year i spoke to the prime minister um and he pretty much said that this was absolutely vital what i was asking for i went to downing street same again it's vital it's vital it's vital it's vital and it's a year later and we haven't seen anything so back to 10 downing street to, to reciprocate but also i'm working very closely with linkedin so i'm on one of six and one of seven linkedin change makers which are using LinkedIn to try and make change. So I want to change how the workplace addresses mental health. I think even now with this awareness around mental health, workplaces, bosses, they still expect staff to just leave their bags at the door and walk in as robots and do their work and leave in the evening. But it's, that's not how it works, right? If you expect people to leave their bags at the door, then don't expect them to be half as good a worker as if they had their bags next to them and they, they, were, they were comfortable in, in showing that. So what I'm trying to get business leaders to do is have those five-minute conversations. Um, I, I'm encouraging people to make a cup of tea and just talk to their staff, right? You don't have to have this leader-employee relationship. Just break that down for 10 minutes and just have a cup of tea and just go, is there anything you'd like to talk about? Or if you notice something, you know, is there anything we can do to help, right? It's just being human. I think what's lacking in the business world is humanity. And it's time that we start realizing the impact of adding humanity back to the workplace, both financially and the health of your employees. So that's, that's really what I'm trying to do with LinkedIn. Well, Ben, I think uh, you could be like a salesperson for the human entrepreneur with humanity to the business world, because that's what we're all about is trying to bring <laughs> the human side of entrepreneurship. Yeah, on the thing around education of the teachers, I think that's awesome. I really hope Boris does start delivering on his word. <laughs> and <laughs> we sh- we'll see. And, but uh, yeah, we hopefully will. with this podcast, I'm not sure he'll be listening, but uh, we can uh, you never know. inspire some he more. He might be ripples. a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. We've got some big things lined up this year. Very, very big things that I'm not allowed to talk about, but coronavirus hit and it was all delayed a bit but so hopefully we've got some huge awareness things coming up so fingers crossed we'll be back we'll be back to number 10 almost certainly which is very exciting well we'll be we'll be sharing about it shouting about it on the human entrepreneur how are you trying to create change as a linkedin change maker how how does that work what do you what do you get up to absolutely so i think LinkedIn for a long time has been looked at as a sort of online CV. And to be totally honest with you, when LinkedIn approached me to be part of this campaign and they asked me, we were in a Joe and Juice in London and they asked me, you know, what do you think LinkedIn is? And I just said, I, I have my CV on there and that's, that's all I know about it. But LinkedIn gives you this unique position where you can literally talk to CEOs, you can talk to the leaders, you can talk to pretty much anyone you want and I think that's really special because in a world where change 
is quite a difficult thing to achieve. Sustainable systematic change is difficult to achieve. It makes it that bit easier that you can just message a CEO and actually initiate that change. Because like I said before about sharing your own stories, if you can share your own story on a platform like LinkedIn, imagine the, the people that might see that. If you've had a bad experience at work, or you have an idea on how a workplace can be improved and you post that onto LinkedIn, your audience is going to be people, the people that you're trying to impact and affect. And I think that's really special. So in terms of what I'm doing on LinkedIn, it's reaching out to those people that are leading, that do need to change, that are leading companies that are doing it totally wrong and just leaving people um, out in the rain with all their bags and not, and not helping them in with anything. So I think if you can make one workplace or you can persuade one leader to have five minutes with every member of staff every week with a catch, catch up or you can persuade one workplace to look at mental health differently and, and put in a resource group or, or put funding aside for mental health first aid training then that's a success because those are people's lives that are that are positively affected so, so that's really what I'm trying to do is trying to persuade people that we need to change because I think people are very very reluctant to to recognize that there's actually a need to change in the workplace Unlike schools, right? Everyone knows that schools need to get better at dealing with mental health. But you talk to people in the workplace and they're like, what? But it works because to them it works. But actually to a lot of people, it's, it's a very hostile environment. Usually appreciate that, Ben. I think the whole uh, dropping the leader and the person, like leader-employee kind of relationship uh, and just being friends in the workplace is a very effective way of leading, if that makes mm. any sense. Because I've had a couple of internships. I just realized, you know, it, it takes me back to, so the senior, like the executives would sit uh, on one table to eat lunch and then the employees would sit on the other table. And that's just wrong, you know, that's just fundamentally, there's just something incorrect about that. It just, what does it show that I'm superior to you? That in itself has so many different side effects on your mental health. But then the, the other side of it is you're, you're really, you're just, it's, it's a transactional relationship. So mm. look at the productivity as a result of that. I, so I completely get what, what you're saying with that. Your work that you're doing, do you face mm. the imposter syndrome? Mm-hmm. Mm, 100%, yeah. <laughs> 100%. And, and what, how are you navigating your way around it? It's a case of, it's, I realize how important what I'm what I'm doing is and I, although it's it's weird to say that because I'm just Ben right and I, and I don't know how I got into the situation and it's kind of the ball's kind of rolled away from me a little bit and I'm I'm like a little bit too deep to to get out now but um seriously like the imposter syndrome's huge like I mean when LinkedIn approached me and said we would like to be part of this campaign I was sitting there being like who do they think they're talking to? <laughs> I've never, I've never been, I've did six weeks in an office and they're trying to get me to do this workplace mental health thing. I'm like, do they know who they're talking to? Um, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you, you've just got to go with the flow, I guess, and see where things go. And, and when you see the impact that you have, you, you kind of mm. can persuade, persuade yourself that, you know what, if it works, then I'm just going to keep going. So that, when you go and you know, you're petitioning for this, the whole teacher recruiting and teacher education mm. of mental health, how, about, how are you exactly going about doing it? We've got the petition online, which has mm. 307,000 signatures. And so there's two real stems to the work we're doing there. One is trying to get as many signatures as possible, because the more people that know mm. about it, the more likely the government are to actually act. 
Um, and the other stem yeah. is actually trying to come up with a proposal of what we want to happen, right? Because it's easy for me to say, hey, this is a good idea. And then just leave it there. And, and, and I think the real change happens when you can go to government and be like, hey, this is a good idea. Here's the breakdown of what we want to see. Here's how the costs work. Here's everything, oven ready, as Boris likes to say, ready to go that you can just implement. And I think that's where we're trying to get to. So I'm talking to a lot of different um, organisations that build government proposals. And I think the, the point that we've got to now is um, the Food Standards Agency um, used to run a, a qualification for anyone working in the culinary industry that they had to pass, a food safety standards test. Um, and it was all based online. And it took about six hours to complete. And I thought, great, we can do something similar for teachers because the biggest criticism of what I've had is teachers don't have enough time during teacher training to do any more. Okay, brilliant. So it has to be online, it has to be flexible. Teachers don't want to be trained as a counsellor. So great, it has to be relatable, it has to be case study based and stuff they can relate to. And so at the moment, we're looking down the route of producing a new teacher training standard and that's going to be involving the government, going to be involving Ofsted and actually producing that test that every single teacher has to undergo before they can receive their qualifications. So that's the idea I've got in my head. And that's what we're going to be taking to Downing Street. And hopefully they can take that. They've got a will to, to produce something similar. Then they can tweak, they can edit, they can put it in whatever way they like. But I'm going to go there with my proposal with a all of the design work everything done with experts behind me and just hope because like when I stood on the steps of Downing Street with all those signatures it was a really amazing moment for me like it was a really a real turning point because up until then it was just this good idea and I was standing there and I was I was looking at the signatures and I was like oh my god there's 200,000 people that are relying on me for this <laughs> and it it kind of very suddenly got very real and I was like oh Oh no, I've, I've had, I can't just keep shaking hands. I've got to do something. <laughs> um, was it, so, was it, was it that moment? Was it that moment when it hit you that this is way bigger than you thought it would be? I'll tell you exactly the moment that it was way bigger than I thought it was going to be. It was when I got my passport out at the passport control at the gates to number 10. And I had all these signatures and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so out of my depth. The prime minister's <laughs> the other side of that door. <laughs> um and like because i'd had it it was kind of weird i kind of the reason i actually got to downing street was because i was at an event out of the blue the, the prime minister just turned up and i was like okay this is this is a bit weird you know he did the rounds did a speech to everyone and then at the end this journalist comes up to me and says he the prime minister would like to speak to you after the event and here's where imposter syndrome ben was like he what what <laughs> <laughs> um, and basically I, I got into a room after the event and the, all of these cameras were set up and I was like oh okay so it's not just a conversation then it's like an actual interview and so I sat down and I was talking to him and we were doing the usual spiel about how important mental health is and I, and I just remember there was this moment where I was like I am never in my entire life going to get a position where I'm sitting opposite the Prime Minister having a conversation on camera where he is on record for what he says <laughs> and I was just like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna just corner him with with my idea so i did and then two days later i was at downing street so <laughs> it worked but but yeah that that moment where i was standing there looking at the door being like the uh the prime minister's the other side of that and we're about to meet him in front of the press i was like okay things just got very real <laughs> but it was very proud it's a very proud moment because a lot of people put a lot of trust in me for this you know 
it's a moment of responsibility, I guess you could say, because now I feel so compelled to act on, on this and I'm totally committed and I'm far, far, far too deep um, to, to, to stop now <laughs> because yeah. it's far too much resting on it. But one day, one day it will happen. One day, I'm sure it will. I've honestly got no doubt that this tide of mental health breaking the stigma and increasing understanding, it's going to happen. <laughs> with what's happened, there, I mean, with yeah. the coronavirus and, and everything that's going on, I mean, what there's never been a more important time for that conversation, is there, really? Exactly. And really to wrap up the podcast, we like to ask our guests some quick fire questions. So our first question for you is, what are your top tips for people who want to create viral campaigns? Be emotive, be relatable and know what you're talking about because people respect and they connect with things that they find emotive and relatable. What are some maybe three to five practices that you do personally that help you support your mental health? Exercise, sleep, eating healthily, bit of a weird one. I, um, I talk to myself. So when we were talking about, you know, not having anyone to talk to, well, there's always you. So I, I actually talk to myself in the mirror and give myself like a pep talk, like a motivational talk. And any problems I have, I actually discuss the solutions to myself, um, which helps you get around things. And last one is the whole mental health campaigning thing is my recovery. It's, it's how I cope. And um, so if you have an issue, sometimes publicly campaigning to change something and talking about it openly really is, is help. Those are my five. Is this quick enough? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ben, I just wanted to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to break the rule of quick. Okay. Uh, I just want to okay, okay, uh, okay. dive, dive a little deeper and ask you. So when you say exercise, eating right, sleeping right, can you, you yeah. know, give a little more insight into that? Like sleeping sure. right for someone could be three hours, four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. Stuff like that. yeah. I think so exercise, if I'm feeling down, go for a run, go for a walk, try and get out every day because it's, I don't think we realize how much that it helps our mental health and our productivity, right? I put it this way, right? If you have a really bad night's sleep and you wake up and you feel awful and you can't really get anything done, well, it's the same in, in reverse when you go out for a run. You, you release those endorphins and you feel so much better. So when you are in a bad situation, getting out and getting moving is so important. In terms of sleep, I think no one expects anyone to get nine hours sleep every night every weekday right because people have lives people have work to do um but i think it's important to recognize firstly that sleep is important and how important it is getting the right amount of sleep so do aim for nine hours and if you are struggling there are things that you can do to help yourself map your sleep so fitbit and an apple watch they can map your sleep and you can actually learn to improve your sleep and also with sleep i think it's important to realize if you've had a bad night's sleep and you feel awful all day, that's not because you feel awful, that's because you've had a bad night's sleep, right? So when you're tired, things seem so much worse than they are. But actually, if you can map that problem back to the fact that you went to bed at 3am, then that makes everything seem more uh, more dealable because you know how you can just get back into the norm. And what was the other one? Oh, eating healthily. So I'm doing a lot of work with a company called The Gut Stuff. Um, which are doing a lot of research into something called the gut-brain axis, which basically means that your gut and your gut bacteria and the nutrients in your gut are linked to your brain and your cognitive ability yeah. to deal with problems. 
And so getting the right minerals in the right amounts is so, so important. You know, we have so many nutrients that we need to survive. And if you're eating chips and chicken nuggets like I do at uni uh, every day, yes. you're not going to get those nutrients, <laughs> right? So making sure that you, I am doing like a scrambled egg and all this nice stuff every so often and having all the colors and all of that and just making sure you're doing the, the basic healthy eating habits. Awesome. And what's your superpower? <laughs> my superpower um god i wish i could say flying um, <laughs> um i reckon my superpower is my voice and i'll tell you why because do you know the number of people that have heard me say something and have gone to also use their voice and have caused change it's a, it's incredible when someone messages me being like I saw that video and I sent it to my boss or I sent it to my teacher and now they're going on a mental health first day course or they've changed how we, we work in the workplace. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Also, what's amazing about embracing your voice and recognizing how powerful it can be is everyone has that superpower. It's just whether you choose to use it or not. We all have a voice. We all have the ability to create change. Um, all we need to do is talk about an issue emotively and you can change anything. You really, really can. So my superpower is my voice. And what do you think makes you human? Well, I'm going to be so cheesy here and I'm going to say humanity because I think this ties so well in. And humanity in that, in that, that, that encompasses empathy and everything that, that makes us human, right? I think what makes us human is the difference between us and a replica human robot, right? What's different? What can a computer not do? It can't be emotional. It can't be emotive. It can't listen to someone's story and feel any sort of emotional connection so what makes me human is is the ability to to actually have that humanity and i think to recognize a problem uh, uh, even someone else's problem right i mean speaking to people with with ocd and and i've never even suffered with ocd hell i've never even suffered with a mental health problem and yet i'm i'm spending 30 odd hours a week trying to trying to solve the problem that's what makes me human the ability to be compassionate and uh, try and understand what they're feeling I think mental health is, you know, poor mental health is, I, I would argue, is a global pandemic. It's not, 100%. I mean, um, you know, the last question that we have is, what are the books or movies or podcasts that have helped you? Uh, it's something that's really changed my outlook on, on life is, you know, those mo adventure movies. So I watched one the other day, right? I watched um, Life of Pi. And it's those sorts of movies that makes you realize humanity, right? And I think every day I'm introduced to people that have hit rock bottom and have hit rock bottom so hard they've smashed through rock bottom and found out rock bottom has a basement. And the same with these movies, right? I've, I think it makes you realize how much you have in your life to cherish and to enjoy and the, pr and the privilege that you have. I have so much privilege. I have the fact that I don't wake up every day and, and want to kill myself. And that privilege makes me feel guilty that some people do. And that's why I do what I do, because some people don't have the energy to fight for change because they have they spend all their energy fighting against those voices. And, and these movies, like they make me feel like I've got so much. Why can't I give a little bit to, to helping people that don't have anything and don't have any energy left? So I guess... Yeah, that's really what I took away. And also, you, the movie ends and you sit there and, and you're like, mm, I want to do something now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and help because I've got so much to be thankful for. I've got so much time. And I had this analogy I was thinking about the other day. I don't know. I'm just, this is not a short fire answer anymore, but you can edit it out if you don't like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had this analogy the other day. I was thinking like, 
if if you were given a bar of chocolate in front of a homeless person what would you do would you eat the whole bar of chocolate in front of them or would you snap a bit off and give it to them and i think that's that's how i view my life i've been given a bar of chocolate and there's so many people around me that 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 don't have the same life that don't have the same privileges and what am I going to do? Am I going to just live my life in front of them and enjoy it and enjoy all these privileges? Or I'm going to snap a bit of the chocolate off and give it to them. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give some of my time to help them wow. because they don't have what I have. And I think that's why I do what I do. You know, it reminds me of this. It's a beautiful analogy that you, you got. And one of the things that I was told, you can't be empty. Like your glass can't be empty and try to help someone. Um, your glass needs to be overflowing because you're overflowing, then you can give some of the water or whatever that's in the glass to the, to the other glass. Anyway, Ben, uh, thank you so much for this chat. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for so much for giving your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank great you, Ben. You. Where can people find your campaign? So you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Ben West. You can find the petition at change.org forward slash save our students um and you can find me well, i mean basically on all of the social media things just type my name in and, and it'll come up and yeah anyone that does want to reach out if they they do feel compelled to reach out then definitely do it'd be lovely to hear from people hey thank you so much for listening to our podcast if you enjoyed it Drop a review wherever you're listening to this and for weekly content, subscribe to our podcast channel and for more updates, check our social media channels attached in the show notes below. Thank you very much.